We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, October 1st. Nick Whalen joined, as always, with Alex Barutha. We are presented uh, by Prediction Strike. That's been the presenting sponsor of the Rotowire podcast for the last few weeks. Make sure to go check out Prediction Strike, a uh, fantasy sports stock market in which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. It's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely enjoying that partnership. Alex, we we had this pod scheduled earlier this week as a kind of a game one recap uh, through the first 13 to 15 minutes of uh, game one on, on Wednesday night. It, it looked like we were going to have a lot to talk about. Miami came out basically it, it kind of exactly like I expected, you know, like the team that wanted to prove that, you know, they, they truly didn't believe that they should have been the underdogs. That was something that Jimmy Butler had said. Earlier this week, he came out, hit a couple of threes early on. Miami shot the ball really well. Jay Crowder 
looked like he was kind of re-locked in after struggling to end that Boston series. But man, uh, the, the, the tide shifted extremely quickly with KCP, of all people, kind of bailing out the, the L.A. Lakers with LeBron on the bench after a little bit of a slow start. Miami had, or excuse me, L.A. had four turnovers in the first five and a half minutes, just a little bit sluggish, which based on, you know, if you've watched this Lakers team and if you've watched LeBron teams in the finals, not all that surprising. But, you know, I, but based on the ebbs and flows of, of how NBA games go, I don't think anyone's shocked that the Lakers got their way back into the game as quickly as they did. But for them to just hammer the gas and really not let up until kind of midway through the fourth when Kelly Olynyk, you know, kind of dipped into his bag and, and was doing things with Kendrick Nunn. Um, I mean, this was a, an absolute beatdown. And I think the injuries are, of course, the main storyline. But even before Jimmy Butler turned his ankle, even before Bam Adebayo uh, appeared to aggravate his shoulder, and even before Goran Dragic, um, you know, suffered a, a plantar fascia injury in his left foot, the Lakers looked like the overall better team, uh, even when both sides were at full strength, at least I thought. They did. It quickly turned into, I mean, it like to me, it felt like they the Lakers were just bullying Miami. Like it, I felt like they were actually intentionally being mean to them. I know that sounds like just very like basic, but the Lakers really feel like they're the better team. They're playing with the confidence of the better team. And they, it kind of feels like they want to embarrass Miami for even thinking they can hang. Um, it was just, yeah, they, they dominated the boards. They got inside, which we talked about in the, on the previous podcast. I thought, Miami would sell out to stop inside baskets. And like, yeah, the Lakers shot, you know, 40% from three, but it wasn't like, that's not, that's not why they won. Like the Lakers didn't win because, you know, they hit 15 threes. They won because they just dominated around the paint. They had the rebounding advantage was crazy. Um, They had 54 rebounds to the heats, 36, AD and LeBron just getting whatever they want. Um, it was just really overwhelming, like very demoralizing for Miami, even before, like you mentioned, the injuries kind of crept up. The Lakers didn't win because of the three-point shooting, but it certainly helped early on. A lot of those threes came in the first and the second quarter, especially when Miami, uh, you know, I think lost the second quarter by 14 points. And that's kind of when the, the avalanche, you know, really came. Um, but overall, I mean, 15 of 38, not a, a virtuoso performance from three by any means for the Lakers at one point they missed 13 threes in a row uh early in the second half uh so it it wasn't one of those games where you felt like okay we there's just nothing we can do they're hitting everything you know Danny Green missed two wide open threes to begin the game um you know LeBron hit hit two threes one of them was fairly high degree of difficulty Davis uh the same thing they were both two of four but you know I, I think early on it felt like the Lakers were hitting some shots that that usually they don't hit but the end of game numbers aren't that all out of whack. You know, 15 to 38 is, is not a crazy performance, uh, especially considering the quality of the looks uh, that the Lakers were getting. You know, Rondo was one of five. Kuzma was one of four. Caruso, one of three. Uh, those guys have a little bit of room for improvement. Three of eight from Danny Green. We've seen him shoot considerably better uh, on the biggest stage before. So, you know, if you're Miami, again, the injuries are going to be the main story. Uh, you know, if, if and when we find out, you know, what is Goran Dragic maybe going to try to play through this? Uh, there's been somewhat of a precedent. You know, I, I think Joe Johnson was the name being thrown around uh, 2014, I believe it was. He played through a similar injury, basically just got shot up and and was trying to gut it out. Didn't play very well 
Uh, more often than not, though, with that injury, you know, guys seem to miss weeks rather than days. So it's not looking great for Dragic. Complete we'll see situation on Bam. I mean, he looked to be in a ton of pain late in that game when he left. And, and Jimmy Butler, you know, who stayed in the game after rolling his ankle, credit to him for gutting it out. But then you notice late in the game, he rolls the same ankle on almost the exact same play in the fourth quarter. And, and that was kind of curtains for him. So, you know, even if two two or all three of those guys end up playing, it's really hard for me to imagine that they're going to be anywhere close to 100%, uh, especially out of bio and Dragic. And, you know, I, 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 if you're Miami, I just I don't even know, you know, where you where you start to prepare for this game, because like we said, the Lakers outplayed them when everybody was healthy. And I, I think you have a lot of adjustments to make on both ends to account for that. And if you're down three of your top four players, I, I just, I'm just not even sure where to turn. Like if, if you're Eric Spolster, like what what's the number one thing you even try to address going into game two? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, I think it's just the physicality, but like <laughs> if everyone's injured, you know, right. like how, how how physical can Bam be? Like if, he's, if, if the shoulder really is that bad and Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard just keep slamming into him all game, that's going to be really tough to deal with. And, you know, Jimmy Butler, that, that ankle sprain and then like subsequent thing again gave me flashbacks to Giannis it felt extremely similar um like it just looked horrible he was clearly yeah. in pain I mean he again he gutted it out but like that's something where yeah he might come into game two like Giannis tried to kind of play again mm-hmm. and it just didn't I mean he just couldn't do it like he got right. on the court and he's like this isn't gonna work yeah. so I mean I think I think I think Spolster just has to try to again like off the physicality, don't let them dominate you in the paint and get to the free throw line a ton, but that becomes even harder now. Right. I, I think without a bio, I, I almost felt like he was somewhat at fault on the play where he initially appeared to get injured. It, it was it was a foul on Dwight, but Adebayo went hard into Dwight. Like, I mean, it was kind of a, almost like a football type of hit. You know, I, Dwight certainly fouled him, um, but I thought Bam was the one who really initiated the contact. And I don't know if he's used to, doing that against Grant Williams or Enos Cantor uh, as, as opposed to Dwight Howard, Daniel Tice. Yeah. I, I don't know if he was expecting, you know, to, to be able to move Dwight more than he did, but it, it almost seemed like Bam kind of was trying to create contact, trying to be more physical, like you're saying, but just wasn't ready for, you know, kind of the, the brick wall, I guess that Dwight Howard was in that situation. And you could see Bam kind of recoil. Um, but he, he went, I, I think he went one of two at the line after that was still kind of, you know, shaking his shoulder and kind of grabbing at the wrist, very similar to what we saw when he when he initially injured it uh, in the last series against Boston, but then you know when he left the game, it, it wasn't because of that play. It was I, I think he was fighting for a rebound with I want to say Jay Crowder, and it looked pretty innocuous. I mean, just two guys kind of battling for a routine board, and you could see Adebayo reach for it, and when he came down, that's when he was really in pain, and that's when we saw him you know walking slowly to the locker room. Then it comes out that he you know most players in that situation, I think you just you kind of get the cortisone shot or, or whatever it is. And you play through it. it, maybe not for the best, but that's usually what, what guys do. And they say on the broadcast that he's like deathly afraid of needles and and didn't want to do that. I, personally, as someone who is also extremely, extremely afraid of needles, I sympathize with that 100%. So, bam, don't let people bully you into getting shots. If you just complain a bunch and if you lie to the doctor and say that you already got the shot and they lost the records, I can tell you from experience that works. Um, <laughs> so I don't fault him with that at all. I don't know where you stand on needles, but I am... 100% on board with Adebayo not wanting to get those shots. 
Yeah, I, uh, I'm not as... I wouldn't say I'm deathly afraid of needles. If I have to give a shot, you know, uh, I'll do it. I will I will be getting the coronavirus vaccine. I know you would prefer maybe a version where they let you either take it as a pill or smoke it or... <laughs> Anything. Yeah, I don't care. I, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I always say like... Like so, like two or eh, probably like three or four years ago at this point, maybe even longer. I my back like fully went out on me. I, I slept on the couch really, really awkwardly and woke up and like oh, my yeah. back was just like immovable for a while. And I've never had anything like that. And I it was it got to the point where I was having spasms so badly that I, I had to go to the ER. I think it was on Memorial Day, I believe. So I, I happened to be home. My dad drove me to the ER. Very sad scene. And they're like, oh, we'll just give you this you know, num- this uh, muscle relaxer shot and that should do the trick at least temporarily. And I was like, no, 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 absolutely not. No, <laughs> multiple nurses are coming in and they're like, at first they're always, this is, this happens to me every time I have to get a shot. And in the end I usually do. Yeah. Um, like I had to get one for a dental issue like a couple years ago, whatever. The, the nurses are always like really sympathetic at first and they think it's like kind of cute, you know, some right. 20, 22 year old at the time guy doesn't want to get a shot blah, blah, blah. And then like after like five minutes of me just like covering my arm and be like, no, 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 you're not doing this. They're like, okay, man, like this is not funny anymore. We actually have to do this. There, there are people waiting out there. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And they eventually, after all my complaining, they're like, oh, well, we do have a pill form. It's just going to take longer to set in. And I was like, I don't care. Why did you not just tell me this right away? So the lesson is if you complain enough and you're enough of a wuss, usually they'll offer an alternative. I'm just imagining you, yeah, just like screaming, give me the pills, <laughs> you know, and to hit these, and like, I'm also, I'm also like kind of scared of taking pills in general, but when that's, when that's the alternative, then of course, hand them over. Oh boy. I I mean, I don't even really know where to, to go with that. I, I guess we, we, I, 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 I could sympathize with Bam. Everybody has like irrational fears, right? It's so, I, well, Somebody's uh, poking, they're poking a metal tube into your body. How is that not rational? Who wants that's that's called stabbing. <laughs> it's no different than a knife, uh, in, in, as far as I'm concerned. It's just Anyways, a really it's a really precise knife. Generally, yeah, I don't know. They they vary in size. Um, True. Tyler Hero was not great in this game. Uh, I, I think his plus minus is a little bit misleading. I mean, he he hit some shots um, that kind of kept Miami around in the second quarter, um, but had a pretty rough second half. Uh, by that point, Drogic was out of the game. Uh, and, and Butler was was pretty hampered. His ankle injury happened with, I think, 21 or 22 seconds left in the second quarter, which as I mean, I've sprained my ankle before playing basketball. I'm sure you have as well. Like that's honestly like the worst time that could happen because you normally you see guys like this happened to Anthony Davis in the Denver series, sprained his ankle. What looked pretty looked, looked to be pretty badly. He wears those those low cut Kobe's um, and he just tightened it up and kept playing. And I, I think oftentimes if you come out of the game and try to get treatment or try to, you know, you loosen up your shoe and you're trying to ice it, like it just blows up instantaneously. Whereas if you're able to keep moving and, and keep the blood flowing, sometimes that's the best short-term solution. So I, I think it was extra tough for Butler because that, that wasn't an option for him. Like it, it was just halftime right away. And he, you know, by default kind of had this like 20 minute break before he was back on the court. Yeah. hundred percent. By default, I don't wear low tops anymore because I've sprained my ankles that much where it's just I like, love, I wear I better. Top look, but I, I can't do it. <laughs> the you know like with the this is a tangent but like with the with the short shorts coming back short shorts and high tops do not look right no, they it's, don't. Just, it's a bad look so you gotta wear like the, the like long compression underneath it makes you look like you have cankles nobody wants that it, <laughs> um 
Yeah, it, it 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 was bad for Butler to have to deal with that. Um, because again, if they're putting a bunch of stuff, you know, if you're wrapping a ton and then you're changing your shoe, it's like now you're you, the you're having to run and jump on like a, you know, on like a foot that just doesn't feel right and is like bigger than normal because of all the tape, and then you're more likely to either sprain it again or mess up the other foot or land wrong and hurt your knee or whatever. I just, I, I don't know. Like, the series already feels over, and I hate saying that because we've seen Miami do so much and keep games close for so long and, like, you know, beat the Bucks, for example. But, like, this feels this feels completely different. Like, I've never, throughout these entire playoffs, I've never seen the Heat be completely, like, dismantled by a, a team like this. Right. The, the way that the Lakers were able to neutralize Bam, I think, was extremely surprising. Because Butler, even even with the injury, Butler still had a really good game. I, I think even if you had said that he he didn't get hurt and he finished with 23, 5 assists, you'd be like, that's about what you'd want, I think, from Jimmy Butler. 8 of 13 shooting. Like, he, he played well. Um, but out of bio, I mean, he only played 21 minutes. He, he did pick up two quick fouls uh, kind of late in the second half that I, I think limited him a little bit. And you could tell he wasn't wasn't really or basically was going out of his way I should say to avoid picking up that third I, I thought he was maybe a little bit too conservative too early I, I think he was playing as if he didn't want to pick up his fourth as opposed to a third uh, and I, th- I think that really hurt Miami in terms of what he was bringing you know on the glass and, and defending Davis and Dwight Howard but yeah I mean I, I thought they would do, make a bigger effort to get Adebayo involved early uh, I, I think the the lack of Dragic for most of this game really hurt him just because of how well the Drogic out of IO pick and roll has worked. And we saw it work a few times early in the game. I mean, Drogic was absolutely annihilating Dwight Howard in space. And once they kind of got away from that matchup and it was Anthony Davis as the guy who's, who's either switching out or, or kind of waiting for Bam at the rim, that's where they really ran into trouble. And for as much as we saw Bam, you know, bully basically every other big in the East on the way here, I mean, Davis, and Davis has kind of always been the guy that you didn't know if he had this in him. Like he had two or three plays and this one where he, I mean, he's fighting for rebounds. He's going up for dunks. I don't think he actually finished any of the dunks because he kept getting fouled. But, I mean, he had some, like, like hulking type of plays, for lack of yeah. a better term, that you don't often see where he's, you know, going up for the dunk, cocking it back, you know, really pulling down on the rim. Like, almost like Shaq type of tenacity that you very rarely see from Anthony Davis. I think there are some points that players, like, they can either, they, like, feel the moment mm-hmm. and... It, some players have never been there and they kind of wilt. Other players have been there and they just like, or haven't been there when they get there, they just go nuts. Like that's kind of, and they kind of turn a corner. That's almost how I feel like that's kind of, I feel like that happened to Jamal Murray too, where it's like his back was against the wall. He knew he had, he like, he kind of had to be the guy and he caught fire. And I think now he's just kind of turned that, like turned that corner as a player where he knows he can be that guy to score 25 points every single night and he can get 30 whenever he needs to. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of those like great players and great performances are like born out of necessity. And I think like Anthony Davis has played on such garbage teams for so long, like with no motivation to even like play that hard that now that he's in a real situation where he knows he can be like the best player on this team. Yeah. And he knows that he's like, he knows that he's way better than Bam Adebayo. And I think that when I, I mean, I, that, that was my, one of my main criticisms of AD was that he's not physical enough given like how big he is. He's got right. some of like the widest shoulders. He's got like Dwight Howard prime 
like wide shoulders and he yes. just settles for those mid-range jump shots and I get confused and angry. But now that they just have him like play bully ball like this, it's it's crazy. I mean, he's he's incredible. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, wondered if you'd ever see this version of Davis. And I, I think part of it is he's just he's gotten so much bigger, like physically, even over the yeah, last year. Like he's huge now. He's he looks bigger like right now than he looked. I feel like even back in March, like he is massive. And you know, Adebayo's a, a great athlete, but Adebayo's what six eight and a half, six nine. You know, I mean, he looks Adebayo looks quite a bit smaller standing next to Anthony Davis. And Miami, you know, they they have two more kind of borderline seven footers, I guess, in, in Myers Leonard and and, and uh, Kelly Olynyk. But I don't think you look to either of those guys and say like, all right, if Bam's not 100%, we can just throw this body out there. Like those guys are gonna, it, it's gonna be even worse. I, I think if you're playing those two guys a combined, you know, even if it's 20 minutes, I don't know if you can really get away with that. So kind of going back to the point you made before. I, I, you never want to declare the series over. Uh, I think the Lakers probably have a lapse in them. Uh, I don't know if they lose a game, but they, they have a game in them where it'll certainly be close, um, especially if, if Adebayo, you know, if that shoulder isn't as bad as it looks or if Drogic is able to play through it. Uh, I, I don't think it's it's time to write the heat off. But, man, you, you wrote in our notes, like, this has to be an all-time demoralizing game one. I, I think it's up there in terms of the loss, the kind of loss plus the injuries. I don't know if we've ever seen anything like that. Um, but in terms of the final differential, I mean, if you watch the game to the end, it was not an 18 point game. I think Miami had it down to 12 at one point, in fact, uh, thanks to Kendrick Nunn and, and Solomon Hill doing what they do. But the <laughs> 18 point game one differential is only the ninth, uh, the ninth biggest differential in a finals game one ever. So there's, there were two 34 point differentials, uh, both, both by the Celtics, one over the Lakers in 85, one over St. Louis, I don't even know what team that was. St. Louis Spirits, maybe, in 61. Um, in, in terms of, like, relatively modern times, the Lakers beat the Magic in 2009, 100-75 in Game 1. And 2017, Durant's first year with the Warriors, they beat the Cavs 113-91 in a Game 1. So I I feel like having watched that that Cavs-Warriors uh, game closely, that one felt inevitable. It was like, all right, the, the better team won. It wasn't really demoralizing. Um, and obviously the better team won last night too. But I, I think, I mean, I was I was very much on Miami taking game one. That was my pick all over the place. I, I thought Miami would win. Um, and of course the injuries were a part of it. But like I said, it, it never, it, once, once the Lakers caught up and kind of made that run in the second quarter, it never really felt like they were going to relinquish it. So I think for as much momentum was on Miami as the underdog, uh, I think this is definitely up there in terms of, you know, how you felt going in versus how you felt going after the differential between those things. Yeah. I mean, this, this, I mean, I had Lakers in six and I obviously feel good about that now, but now it, it feels like I was dumb for not picking five. And like, well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of us, I don't think any of us, like nobody saw this coming. No. So like, it, it doesn't really make sense to be like, well, you know, I picked Heat and seven. How how dumb do I feel? It's like well, nobody thought, like nobody thought this was coming. Well, put put it this way. I mean, for most of the game, you know, Jimmy Butler came back and played well. So like I, you know, I don't I don't know if you can really say the game was changed all that much by him rolling his ankle. You know, maybe a little bit. Um, the Drogic absence is the one that that's really the most salient. It, yes. Um, but let, like let's say none of the injuries happen and the Lakers still have this game where they're down early, they storm back and they just pull away and and Davis looks like too much. You know, do you? how differently would you feel if all those guys were fully healthy going into game two? Would you be just as concerned or would it be like, all right, they got blitzed in game one. We've seen, we've seen the heat be as resilient as anybody. 
in these playoffs. Um, like, I, I don't know if I, if I, I wouldn't feel great about my heat and six pick if everybody was healthy still. Um, but I, I wouldn't think like, all right, this is for sure going to be a sweep. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would feel, I mean, I would definitely still feel good about my Lakers and six. Like, I feel like that would probably still be either five or six, the most likely outcome. Like yeah. it, it just, I, I don't know. It was, it was such a, just a, a dominant performance. Like it's like hard to imagine the heat, like coming back and winning after that. And like, again, we talk about this team in terms of like, they, they always stay in it and yeah, maybe they can win game two. And then we're, and we're one, one. And again, anything's right. possible, but the injuries really hurt. And especially I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Dragic again, because throughout the playoffs, there was points that dro- the Dragic out of bio pick and roll felt like their best offense. And it like, at, it, like a lot of times it felt like the like James Harden, Clint Capella, like pick and roll. Like it was like you couldn't stop it. And Dragic was like a lefty, so it kind of felt the same. Yeah. And like it is such a crucial part of their offense. Like if like I mean that's obviously even if they both play, like that's incredibly hampered. And then they're just going to become even more reliant on their three point shooting. And you know the Lakers are if the Lakers can just press up more on the three point shooters because they know that it's going to be tough for them to, you know, the heat to get buckets of the basket. Now Then it's just, it's just a lot of compounding factors. And it, at this point it feels mm-hmm. all, I mean, almost impossible for the, for the heat to come back in my opinion, yeah. like the, the, the odds have shifted that way, right? The Lakers to win the series now minus 1600 and the line for game two is Lakers minus eight. And I don't even feel like that's our line at all oh, given no. the injury situation and I, I think um, that number could climb higher too if 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 we get official word that Drogic is out and you know depends on Bam I, I think that could get closer to double digits honestly it could yeah I, I don't I don't think it would cross like that 10 mark because that's just that's like a huge I mean that's a huge number anytime there's like a double digit favorites even in like yeah. you know if it was like Bucks Hornets and Hornets were like plus 11 it's like you gotta at least think about that but I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, even, even like Lakers minus 1600 feels like good value for them to win the series. Right. Like I don't have a thousand dollars. Yeah. I don't have a thousand dollars to win a hundred dollars, but like if I did, <laughs> like, I, I feel like I would not be worried about losing that money. Um, it feels like the yeah. only way that the Lakers could lose the series is if they, they have to let up. Like I, given the injuries, I don't, I don't think Miami has the firepower anymore to like, come back and, and rip the series away. I think it would have to be a game where the Lakers, you know, game two, they have like 25 turnovers and they're just playing sloppy yep. and the defensive effort looks like it did in the second half, as opposed to the first half. Um, Cause their defense was awful in the fourth quarter. Um, and that, and that, that goes back to what you said with like looking at spreads. It's like, yeah, there's a pretty good chance given the injuries that the Lakers are, are leading by double digits for most of game two, but there's also a good chance that a 30 point lead almost always becomes like a 15 point lead in the fourth quarter of an NBA game. Yeah. Like the, no team ever just like hammers the team for all four quarters. Once you get to garbage time, there's always a Kendrick Nunn coming in and, and giving you 18 points in 19 minutes off the bench. Like he did last night. Um, I, I think if, if I was going to bet the Lakers, you know, like you said, I, I don't think minus it's 1667 on DraftKings right now. Like you said, it could be it could be bigger overall. I, I think I would want to bet the series correct score because you, you're still getting plus money on any of those, and it, obviously it's inherently a little more risky. But I mean, Lakers in four is now the favored outcome at plus 110. Lakers in five plus 200. Lakers in six plus 450. Lakers in seven 
plus a thousand. Um, heat and seven, or yeah, heat and seven, excuse me, is plus two thousand. Uh, if you if you really feel like you know you still believe in Miami for whatever reason, um, but would you prefer to bet like Lakers in four or Lakers in five as opposed to just Lakers win the series at at basically minus sixteen hundred? Yeah, I think that that probably makes the most sense, right? I mean, I, I would have a lot of confidence either way. It's just much more manageable. Like if <laughs> if I'm if I'm actually me and I want to bet like a hundred dollars on something, I would just I would just rather do like the Heat and or excuse me, the Lakers and five or something, because who bets a hundred dollars to win like <laughs> 10? Um, yeah, I think, I think that makes more sense. And like, like you mentioned, like, I mean, through three quarters, this game was 93 to 67. Like the, the fourth quarter was, was a hundred percent garbage time. So. Yeah. Although like the Lakers played their starters partially because their garbage time lineup is basically their bench lineup, which <laughs> is a whole different issue, but like LeBron didn't check out of the game until like a minute and a half left. He got a rebound and called timeout and then finally basically checked himself out. Like they were there. The guys around him weren't always great, but like Jared Dudley, J.R. Smith, Quinn Cook, like those guys only played the final minute. Are you trying to tell me LeBron was out there stat padding? He, he would well, never. He, he Mark would Jackson, never. Mark Jackson called him out on it on the telecast. I don't know if you were still watching at that point. I wasn't. But <laughs> I think Green was like, James is one assist away from a triple double. And Mark Jackson's like, <laughs> And Mike, you could tell he knows it. And there was like three possessions in a row where he just held the ball and like kicked it to somebody. And you could tell there's like, you're shooting this. One of them was an air ball Rondo three. That, that was the last one, I think, his last gasp at a, at a potential triple double. But this is like the fourth time in the playoffs now. I think he's finished either one rebound or one assist short. Uh, but yes, there was some significant LeBron stat padding going on. Uh, like, I think he only had like 17 points going into the fourth, right? So like his final line... Uh, his final line looked quite a bit more impressive after the garbage time than it than it would have overall. He just he has to get the 25 points. I mean, he has to he has to go for the triple double. His final just, points came on like the saddest possession of all time, where he just like backed Derek Jones down all the way from the free, from the free throw line <laughs> and just like abused him, got him with a little bit of the elbow hook. Uh, but yeah, it was it was an absolute vintage LeBron um, stat padding at the end of a game. So. I mentioned the the series odds. We we don't have any player props for game two quite yet. Hopefully we'll get those later today. Uh, if not, uh, it'll be Friday morning. But finals MVP odds are updated. If, if there's one takeaway from last night, I think it was like, holy, well, actually, I can't say that. Wow, Anthony Davis is really good, right? So you would think you would think maybe the, the finals MVP odds would shift in favor of Davis. No, 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 no. LeBron went from... Minus 125 before game one to now minus 225. Davis went from plus 250 uh, to only plus 175. So, uh, you know, part of that movement is obviously the Lakers looking like, uh, you know, a borderline lock to win the series. So so they're both of those odds are going to improve. But uh, LeBron is, is the one who who improved more. So, uh, you know, I guess statistically, maybe you look at it and say, like, Davis was the Lakers best player on both ends. Uh, last night but at the same time LeBron's numbers were good enough that as we talked about earlier this week for Davis to win the MVP over LeBron he would have to like have a there would have to be such a huge statistical gap and as of right now it it probably doesn't look like that's going to happen uh nah probably not I mean I think I think the funniest thing would be like this game this series being a sweep but like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter Lakers up by 35 LeBron and AD are just battling for the MVP, like on the court. Like they're just basically they're playing against each other to try to win the Finals MVP. 
for the last eight minutes. And it, the, the Heat are, you know, it's just like they just they just take turns backing down Derek Jones and getting buckets. Yeah, I, I, Derek Jones and Solomon Hill are possibly in for a pretty rough series, especially if, if Butler were to miss any time. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is LeBron's to lose. As I've said many times, I, I think even if Davis comes out of the series averaging like 35 and 15 and LeBron is at a, a more modest, you know, like 25, 8 and 8, I, I think it goes to LeBron as a lifetime slash this season achievement award. You know, I, I think we'll start to invoke the Kobe narrative and the leadership and, you know, it, Maybe it'll give LeBron executive of the year for bringing Davis there. Like, I, I just think like all this is all kind of a, a culmination of things for LeBron, where usually it's just who's the best player in the series. OK, let's give it to him. Where Whereas I, I think the voters would look to like LeBron's overall body of work and possibly wrongfully so give it to him over Davis. That's part of the deal, right? LeBron's like, hey, A.B., come play with me. I'll get you a title and but I'll but, get finals MVP. <laughs> exactly. okay, you, you have to make sure I get finals MVP. Yeah. Uh, quick update on your your Duncan Robinson Kyle Kuzma prop last night. Yeah, uh, we wrote a we wrote a best bets piece piece up for the site, and uh, you know I, I like the player matchup bets. Last round there was one where it was KCP to score more points than Gary Harris at like minus one seventeen, which was the almost the most free money I've ever seen on any gambling website. Um, but this time around it was. I, I thought it could be Duncan Robinson over Kyle Kuzma. I have to be honest with you. I lost this bet uh, because Kyle Kuzma scored three points and Duncan Robinson scored zero points. So that was not exactly what I expected, uh, but still really disappointing. Not a great showing for Duncan Robinson, who was uh, brutally hunted on the defensive end. Uh, yeah. Basically, anytime he was in the game, uh, and as as you know, you and I kind of talked about this. We we did think that the Lakers would sell out to stop Robinson, and that's exactly what they did. He had three attempts from three, missed them all. Uh, none of them, by my uh, recollection, were wide open. So, I mean, the Heat got some open looks early on in this one, but it was more Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, uh, Drogic even had a couple. Uh, Harrow had two threes, but you could tell Duncan Robinson is the one guy that the Lakers decided they could not leave open, um, and they they basically took him out of the game early on. I mean, he ended up playing 27 minutes, but there's, you know, you really can't remember him doing much uh, outside of getting beat on defense uh, for them in this game. I mean, do you, do you think they virtually have to stick with Duncan Robinson? I think just because of the punch that he brings offensively. Um, but I mean, is there a chance that they reduce his minutes? We see maybe more Iguodala. Uh, the, the problem is like for as great as like we love, you know, how much we've talked about how much we love the heats, like three through seven, three through eight guys. They're not like insanely deep where, you know, if you don't want to play Duncan Robinson, that means you're either playing hero probably close to 40 minutes or you're dipping into the Solomon Hill, Derek Jones duo, which it might be equally bad on D. Yeah, I mean, if you yes, if the if the if the Heat's actual depth is not playing well and Spolstra feels like he has to switch it up, you very quickly get into like, uh, you know, well, it's like, OK, we'll throw Iggy out there. A little Solomon Hill. Who else is out here? Oh, Myers Leonard. It's like those right. guys are going to score 10 combined points. Like it's right. it, they have no offensive punch outside of the guys that they play. Like everyone that they play is like a defensive or it's just like a pure specialist. I mean, I don't even know what Solomon Hill is at this point. He's just kind of a he's just out there. Um, but yeah, it's 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 tough for them. As far as I mean, and as far as Kuzma goes, like 
I had already kind of felt this way before the series, but just watching this game and just watching the Lakers play in general, like I, I, I actually think Alex Caruso is better than Kyle Kuzma. Like yes. I, I think, I think Kuzma, I, I, Caruso is doing way, way more out there than Kuzma is. Yeah, no question. I mean, Kuzma was one of seven in this game, one of four from three, didn't get to the line, did have eight rebounds, uh, but that's in a game when Miami was missing a ton of shots. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I didn't, you know how I feel about Kuzma. I didn't see anything last night that, that changed my opinion. No. And like Rondo, who I is like consistently the third best player, didn't have a great game at all. And like Caruso had a, it's just like, you know, I don't know. I mean, Danny, Danny Green, KCP also played pretty well. That helps. But they're, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know what they're going to, I could, I mean, I could easily see them trying to, (laughs) <laughs> get rid of Kuzma in the offseason. Well, for sure. I, I just think his value is going to be as low as it's ever been, right? I mean, I, I think at this point, there's really nothing he could do short of going for like 35 the next three games to rehab his value. Like there's there's enough of a sample size now of him just not being good. And, I, you know, you I think you can move him, of course, but I don't, what are you going to get back? You know, I don't, I don't think you're getting anybody even as down as we are in Kuzma, like I don't know if you're going to get somebody with equal upside. Um, I, I guess you, you could trade him for like a slightly washed up veteran maybe. Um, but he also doesn't make a lot of money. So like th- there's some complications there. Um, I, I think the ideal scenario was he plays pretty well this season. Um, you know, looks like maybe a future piece. And then you flip him this off season for something that, that strengthens your team even more for the 2020, 21 season. And again, you can do that, but like, what, I mean, what is he, what is his value on the open market? Like if you were trying to trade him for a draft pick, even in this bad draft, like, could you even get like the, I don't know, could you get a lottery pick for Kyle Kuzma right now? Nah, I don't think, I don't so. think so. No, maybe just trade him for uh Chetty Osman. I mean, that's, that's where he is for me value wise, right? Like Chetty Osman did more with LeBron than, than Kyle Kuzma has. If he's not uh, hitting open threes, yeah. there's just there's just no value there. And I, I know he has been better defensively. I know some people push back on that. He he definitely has been better on D. I'll, I'll give him that. And for a team that that kind of makes his bones on that end, that is valuable. But if you're just going one for three, one for four, zero for two, zero for six from three every single night on a LeBron team that basically thrives on LeBron driving and kicking, and you can't hit open threes, there's it it just kind of it decimates whatever value you're bringing on the defensive end. So I, I said this to one of my friends the other night. Do you think he's like a long lost Morris twin or Morris triplet? Like he feels like a Morris, right? Oh yeah. I mean, he could be like their cousin, possibly like a son. Yeah. I don't, I would imagine Markeith views him as a son. I, <laughs> I see a yeah. lot of myself in you, young man. If, if Kuzma had the same exact career arc as Markeith Morris, that'd be great. That would not be surprising. I think that would be a positive at this point. People want teams want Marquise Morris. That's <laughs> multiple teams have gone out of their way to acquire Marquise Morris. That that's true. Yeah, the problem is Kuzma's too young. Like no one's like, oh, we need the, wait, right. we just need that. We need that scrappy. Just we need that body out there. Might maybe hit some threes. Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. Like I, I will say, this whole thing is breaking pretty well for him individually. Like there's a, a very good chance that within the next week and a half, he's going to have a ring. And much like Kyrie winning one early on in his career, like it, it kind of gives you the license to do whatever you want for a while. It's like, hey, I got the ring. Like you don't you don't feel like this never ending quest 
maybe for the rest of your career. So right. you know, maybe he just demands a trade to the Kings. And like, I feel like that's his ultimate destiny is to average like 18 a game on 38% shooting for the Sacramento Kings. Like he, he if I he mean, gets a ring, he can do that. Kuzma for Harrison Barnes. Let's make it happen. The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friends say, I've had stock in that player since day one. Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now, that's a complete reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. Doc Rivers, out in Los Angeles. Yeah. This is old news by now. But right before we hit record, uh, right around uh, 1130 Central on Thursday, uh, Woj tweeted out a a report that Doc Rivers and, and the 76ers are very close um, to, to a potential deal. It sounds like Rivers watched game one with Sixers brass, um, presumably like a mini interview where they were just like, what would you do? And I, I don't know, man. I Obviously, Doc is, is as well-respected as any coach in the league, but I, I don't I don't know that the resume is as impressive as his reputation is. Um, obviously, I don't know Doc Rivers. I, I think he probably brings a lot more to the table outside of coaching that that franchises value. Um, but I, I was a little surprised, I guess, that there's this much of a market right away. Um, you know, for a guy who's coming off of like yet another collapse, and it, it sounds like things with that Clippers team maybe weren't as they seemed uh, for much of the year. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if you're Philly and you, you have a chance to jump on a coach with that reputation, uh, you know, right or wrong, um, I, I, I guess I, I, I do kind of like the fit for Philly just because even though this isn't how it worked out this year for Rivers, like his calling card is, you know, managing, dealing with superstars, dealing with complicated rosters. And, you know, I, I think that was kind of what, what where Brett Brown really had his faults. So. I, I guess from that perspective, at least the, the Sixers seem to be kind of going in a different direction with the type of coach they're hiring. Yeah, because it seems like it's between Rivers and D'Antoni right now. And to me, that's just like ego management coaching versus X's and O's coaching. The problem is I think the Sixers need a little bit of both. And neither is like the perfect solution because right. – like Simmons, Simmons and Embiid, they like get along, right? But they're not like they don't. They're not like hanging out. Like I don't. It, there's never been an impression that those guys are like great friends or anything. But it doesn't also seem like their egos are really getting in the way of like either one of them. It's just more. Again, I think it seems like an X's and O's thing. But there's only so much you can do on the court to fix that. Right. And hiring Dan Tony seems like it makes almost no sense, like theoretically. But 
based on how he's coached lately. Like I think I think the 76ers should play up tempo because when you have Ben Simmons, who is one of the best transition players in the NBA, like yeah, it makes sense to get up and down the court um, and space the floor out for him. But I mean, D'Antoni thinks the post-up play is the worst thing ever invented, and it's like you have the best post-up player in the league on your team. So how does that work? Yeah, that, that's why the the D'Antoni thing was always a little strange. And then there were those, I wouldn't even go as far as to call them reports, but you know, suggestions, I guess, that if they hired D'Antoni, they would then try to trade for James Harden, which I, if you can get James Harden, I'd, I'd be sure. I guess you try to do it. Depends what the package is. But right, I mean, D'Antoni's coming from a situation where he just traded away his center, who, as far as centers go, was kind of like the perfect guy for that system if you're going to have one, um, to like more of a slower plotting back down center that would just have been a, a weird clash of styles. Um, and I don't, I don't think Philly like wants to trade Embiid. So again, if you're, if you're getting D'Antoni, then it, it almost puts you in the situation where whether you're planning to or not, people are going to wonder like, what's the fit here? If it doesn't work, then the Embiid, you know, do you have to trade him? Uh, talk really heats up. And I, I don't think they wanted to deal with that. But yeah, like you said, I mean, Doc, as an X's and O's guy, hasn't really been all that great over the last decade, really. I mean, if, if he doesn't win that title in Boston, I think his reputation is completely different than what it is right now um at the same time though i don't i don't know like it, is there someone else out there who you think would have made more sense for philly you know if, if you're not going to get nick nurse or brad stevens or greg popovich you know, I, if you're if you're listing like the the quote-unquote best coaches in the league I, I, I guess by default doc is kind of the next guy up i agree because like i i'm pretty like lukewarm on Ty Lue to say the least i like kenny atkinson but he's now kind of like got that reputation as a developmental coach and it's like yeah. he's just brett brown with like darker hair and like you know <laughs> jeff van gundy i i don't know man like his that ability, feel his like ability the, to stay in every coaching talk despite having not coached in like 11 years very impressive yeah it's 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 pretty nice and like becky hammond's name always gets thrown in there but i don't even like it i mean it feels like she's never actually gonna get hired like you just I feel just like she heard this is just I mean, I think job. she will. Let's no, this isn't. Like, this is not the right job for her. And, you know, you could say say whatever you want. I mean, like, any this is not the job for any first-year head coach. And the, the, the scrutiny and, and everything that's going to come with that, I just, if you're the Sixers, it's just not worth it. No, she, yeah, she needs to coach more like a, probably like a more neutral team. Hornets. Hornets. <laughs> Magic. Um, yeah, so, but so yeah, what any team in the southeast division basically yeah, yeah exactly um i yeah i guess i mean if i would if i was philly i think i would feel the best about doc the i think the only reason you would the only reason you would go with d'antoni would be like if you really think you kind of like if you really think you might want to trade joel Embiid, like if that's really on your mind and you're just like, well, who's the coach we can have to make that work the best? Not having Joel Embiid on the team. Mm-hmm. Like you would hire D'Antoni and then he would like try his best to make the post-up thing work and then it would inevitably fail. And then they would play like five out and Embiid would shoot more threes than ever before. And he'd be angry and they'd be like, this isn't working. And then they'd trade him yep. and they'd go small ball. And then it would kind of work because he's good at yeah, coaching that. That would be like the only reason. But that would almost feel too obvious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like you, like you mentioned with Doc, He's got a Coach of the Year award, two NBA Finals berths, one title. Hasn't been to the finals since 2010. Not that that's like a, you know, like a damning thing. Um, 
I mean, it kind of is. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't hold it against him from 2015 on because of the Warriors. But, I, don't, I mean, he had some pretty good rosters with the Clippers. I think if, yeah. I think what you, like, if you're going to put him close to that tier with, you know, a pop type of guy, it's like, at some point, you got to maximize the talent, you know? And the one title team he did have was by far the most talented team in the East that year, you know? And they kind of walked their way to the title because, you know, that was a big three situation. And, and at that point, you know, no one else in the league, even the Lakers, you know, had that collection of talent. So, I mean, I'm not, not suggesting that he's been just like carried by talent the whole way, but I, I don't, I think it'd be wrong to say that he didn't have enough talent with the Clippers to ever, like they never, never even got to the conference finals. That's, I think was what's more crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a, he, I mean, he's definitely a floor raising coach. Like, I, I don't think you can't, I mean, he's, He's, I think, clearly in the top half of coaches and probably even in the top third of coaches. Oh, yeah. Of so, of yeah. So he's got I mean, he's a he's a floor raising team, a uh, floor raising guy. Um, and again, like the way coaching works in the NBA, it's like you never know when the next person is going to be available because like all these guys end up with like three to five year contracts. And it's like half the time they don't they don't even have those run out. And so you do, you do, like you never know who's actually going to be available. And so it's like when there's a guy who is in just conservatively in the top half of coaches and you have a team that's like trying to make the finals, um, it almost feels like you just have to pull the trigger. Yeah, I, I, hopefully we get an expose at some point as to what led to this. You know, there's been a lot of speculation that it was basically a Balmer decision. Um, I, I just keep coming back to, you know, if Doc is this like great people person and a great locker room guy, great at pe- keeping people together. You, you know, you would think some of these players would maybe go to bat for him and say, no, don't fire him. We love this guy. Whereas, you know, like Kawhi Leonard has the final say, right? Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, like those guys you would think would be ultimately the decision makers. And even if they're not the ones who said we need to fire him, you would think Ballmer would at least say, is it okay if I fire him? And in, in that scenario, they clearly, you know, said it was fine. Yeah, I mean, they, the uh, Paul George and Kawhi want to play in L.A. and probably play with each other more than they really right. care about Doc Rivers. And, I mean, Kawhi, Kawhi especially, I mean, he was coached by Popovich for a long time. Even if he didn't necessarily like him, he knows what good coaching is. And Nick Nurse. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he saw what Nick Nurse was able to do. So, I think, I, I, I don't think Kawhi would, would hesitate to just say, you know, hey, we can we can let Doc go. It's not that, yeah. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. So the current coaching openings uh, as of Thursday, and you know, it sounds like one or two of these could be closed pretty soon. It, I think Ty Lue is kind of emerging as the guy for the Clippers. He was an assistant there this year. Philly, the Clippers, Indiana, New Orleans, Houston, OKC. How would you rank those jobs uh, in terms of appeal? So I would rank them Clippers number one, then yeah. Philly, then New Orleans, then Houston, then OKC, then Indiana. Um, uh, Clippers and Philly just because of the overwhelming talent New Orleans over Houston because I think the rebuild in New Orleans is way more intriguing than like trying to deal with James Harden and Russell Westbrook even if that's closer to getting you a title I just feel like it's more appealing to like try to figure out how to make Zion incredible and like Brandon Ingram's there and I think I feel like it's just more exciting um, and then it's the same thought for like OKC over Indiana two guys are trying to leave Indiana right now so like what is what is even going on there from like a from like an organizational perspective? That's chaos. Meanwhile, OKC has been a great organization. You know, people still like want to bring up the Harden trade. Okay, since then, 
they've been great. They swindled plenty of like they they, they got Old Depot and then they moved him and it's like I, I mean they're they're in a great spot right now. I don't I don't they their rebuild might be I mean their rebuild might be long because they might if they get rid of Chris Paul and they get rid of Steven Adams, like they might be really bad. You know, like if they're if their best player is Shea Gilders Alexander, they're going to be awful. Like I, I just I genuinely believe that. And so you know, I think they'll, but they'll collect a bunch of young guys very quickly. So like, they could be really, really good in four years again, or at least really, really exciting. I just think the, you know, um, the first hope years won't be great. But I still think that's more interesting than Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think with OKC specifically, I, I, I think it, it's appealing because, especially if you're like a Kenny Atkinson type, and obviously this didn't work out for him in Brooklyn, but you have a chance to you know, eat some pretty bad years, you know, probably two or three pretty rough years. But if you, if you do well and you see it through, you have a chance to, you know, shepherd like the good years, you know, basically what, uh, what Brett Brown had the opportunity to do with Philly, you know, he put up with a lot those first few years and had his opportunity and and didn't get it done ultimately, but he had his opportunity uh, to be the guy when they were ready to compete. And I think OKC will probably be looking for someone to do something pretty similar and with the amount of draft picks, and and even like you said, like most teams that tear it completely down don't even have a piece like SGA. Uh, they don't have a piece like Lou Dort, who who at least looks like a, a six man at worst for the next 10 years. Um, like they, they, they have a chance, I think, to bounce back a little bit more quickly than than people would expect. Uh, Indiana's for sure is, is the last one for me. No interest in that job. Not a lot of upside there. Um, but I, I, th- I think you're spot on. I mean, you have to. Even even like Philly could kind of be thrown into the same category as Houston, where it's just been kind of chaotic. You don't know about the fit. Its team seems to underachieve every year. But uh, you know, Clippers and Philly, I think, have to be one and two just because they're they're that close um, to to potentially winning a title, and that's that's obviously the ultimate goal. Uh, Houston behind New Orleans, I also agree with too. I, I think Houston's window as like this this just like default. They're the third best team in the West. It feels like that's where they've pen- been penciled in every year, you know, second or third best team, whether it's behind Golden State or behind the Clippers or behind the Lakers, I, I think that ends next year, right? I mean, I don't know what more we need to see at this point. And and in general, I've I've been a Houston guy. I don't I don't hate their style. I like watching them. Um, but I just I don't I think they're just they're finally gonna run out of getting the benefit of the doubt every year. Yeah, I mean I don't think any, Houston's really done anything like fundamentally wrong. I think they I think they leaned into a coach and they leaned into a great they they leaned into a great coach and a great player and they built an offense for those guys. And the Chris Paul thing that really wasn't there's nothing you could almost do about that in terms of you know they had to trade him because him and Hargan didn't get along, um, which kind of feels like a Harden issue honestly, even though Chris Paul never gets along with anybody, but I. Again, like you, you still got Russell Westbrook out of it. That's fine. I can't say like as again as much as I have am down on Russell Westbrook. I can't say I wouldn't have made that trade uh, just because of the overwhelming talent. Like I, I can't say I would have tried to trade Chris Paul for like pieces. You know, um, it's just like how you know you you built a team for Mike D'Antoni. So whoever is going to be your next coach is not it doesn't feel as equipped to deal with that roster as D'Antoni was. And I, I feel like whoever just ends up coaching there is going to be like fighting against the grain, right? right? Like Harden, they want, they already know how they like to play. I don't really anticipate them playing super differently. Um, it's I mean, it's hard to with that roster. Like they're, it's right. so, there are they two guys who handle the ball. Yeah. 
I mean, there's two guys, uh, and just more, even more, like, there's two guys who'll handle the ball and everyone else just shoots. You know, I mean, Eric Gordon can handle and Austin Rivers can handle, but, like, you know, like, at right. that point, what are we really talking about? So I don't even know what you do there. Well, they've, like I said, they've kind of been given the benefit of the doubt where, you know, we, we've been checking in on title odds all season. And, like, you know, even around the All-Star break, uh, through the, the shutdown, um, you know, even when at the start of the playoffs, they were – they were the team behind the Clippers and the Lakers with the third best title odds in the West. And there was always this belief that like, yeah, even though it doesn't make any sense on paper, even though they have no big guys, <laughs> there's this variance, you know, potential for them where it's like they, they could just hit 25 threes for four games in a row and beat anybody. And it just, it has never happened. It's never really even come all that close to happening. You know, like it didn't happen with Chris Paul. It didn't happen before Chris Paul got there. It, it certainly did not happen with Russell Westbrook this year. So I think this is like next season is the the time that people finally change their tune on the Rockets. So like instead of installing them as the third favorite in the West, I think I think they'll be like below Denver at least. You know, I, I just yeah, I just don't think yeah. I don't think we'll kind of fall for the bait again of like, all right, you know, we're what, 12 seasons in on James Harden. Like maybe this is the year he finally plays well in the playoffs like that. I, I think that time is just passed at this time at this point. I think so too. Um, they could, they'll. I'd be, I would be shocked if they're not behind Denver. And I mean, I think they could. I don't want to say they could fall to, you know, like eighth or seventh, but like, I feel like there's a world where Mavericks are better than them next season. Oh yeah. And I feel like there's a world where Portland is pretty close, assuming like Nurkic is healthy again, and maybe they change up the roster just a little bit. But Portland was, I mean, they were great in the bubble, and Utah. They'll get Bogdanovich back. Like, there's Houston was not the fourth seed by a lot. I mean, they had they had one more win than Dallas. The Rockets right. did, and we saw how well Doncic played in the playoffs. So, um, you're right. I I just think they won't. It's I think it's over for them as like the default quote unquote wild card team. I kind of want to see a Harden trade just for fun. I don't even I don't have a destination in mind or who you would trade for him. I just like. This seems to have run its course. It's been fun. He's put up some awesome numbers. There have been some some memorable playoff runs, some memorable playoff collapses, I guess, more than anything. But I, I think it would be it'd be fun for him to say, like, all right, I, I'm kind of done playing this style and and try to go somewhere else. And, you know, I mean, like, it, it seems crazy because he's been there for so long. But, like, I can't even picture him in, like, a Sixers uniform, you know, if they did, like, a, a Simmons for Harden or Embiid for Harden type of trade. But, I, I think that that would be a really fun shakeup just for like people who are fans of the league to see somebody that talented who's now kind of been cast off, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, like have a chance, you know, with just a different mix of guys around him uh, to try to finally show that he could kind of get over that hump. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if Harden for Simmons like makes, I don't know if that makes perfect sense, but I think I want to see it. Like I think. I think it would be fun because I think Simmons needs that type of team. Like I think Simmons needs the Houston kind of team. Right. And I don't know what Harden needs, but it'd be fun. I don't know what Harden needs either, but Joel Embiid is like I I think it would be maybe I mean maybe part of the problem is like you know they got rid of Clint Capella and wanted to go to centers because Clint Capella wasn't good enough. Like there has to be some sort of threshold of center. Yeah. Where you know, even like D'Antoni would think it would make sense to play with one. And maybe that's Joel Embiid where it's like, if you put him and Harden together, it's just going to be so much more dominant than like, a. I mean, that's like, you know, you can talk yourself into, you know, that being like Kobe Shaq esque 
right? Yeah. In terms of like, if you think Embiid's a top, you know, if you think Embiid when he's healthy and when he's right and when he's trying is a top three center or even the best center in the league, and you think Harden's the best scorer in the league or the best guard in the league, then like that just, it, it feels natural. Yeah, I, I think, you know, after this year and, you know, we'll see what happens next year. I, I think those talks will eventually start to heat up uh, a little bit. You know, I, I don't think he necessarily wants out of Houston, but, um, you know, as you get older, as you climb into your low 30s, the, the pressure inevitably starts to build, uh, especially when you're you're a guy who has a chance to kind of be an all-timer. We we didn't really get to uh, um, Nugget Celtics postmortem. Uh, on Tuesday night. That, that's the one downfall of our partnership with Dash is we are we are limited to a very strict 55 minutes uh, on those Tuesday night episodes. Uh, we we kind of touched on it, you know, just now talking about uh, Denver in relation to to Houston. But I, I mean, I don't know how how do I want to phrase this. I guess um, I I don't think that Denver is going to be favored over the Clippers next year, even though they beat the Clippers in the playoffs. That's just not how it's going to work. Uh, assuming both rosters come back, you know, relatively intact. People are still going to be naturally skeptical of the Nuggets, partially because they were dispatched in five games by the Lakers, partially because, you know, as great as Jokic and Murray were, I, I think I think Murray especially still needs to prove it for like a full season before people fully buy in. Um, but you know, what kind of upside or how, how do you view the Nuggets heading into the offseason and heading into next season? Like, are, are, are they for you a team that you're willing to say is like, you know, neck and neck with with the Lakers and the Clippers for a potential West final spot? Yeah, I mean, they, they're they still a really young team. Like, Jokic and Murray are really, really young. And they were... What they were able to do in the playoffs for a team whose core is that inexperienced was awesome. And I think Murray has kind of turned the corner. I talked about that earlier in the podcast. I think there are just some moments where guys realize or they're forced to realize how good they are. And I think that happened for Murray. So I think he's, I, to me, he's like a legitimate all-star now. Um, you know, I think they'll kind of, I don't want to say they'll give up on Paul Millsap, but I don't think he'll be back unless it's at like a severe discount because he looked washed at a lot of points in the playoffs. Um, Big time. My, I, I guess they'll just lean into uh, Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter, which I think is perfectly fine at forward. And, um, you know, maybe there's a way but we didn't see Will Barton at all either. And Will Barton has been really good at times for them. Like Will Barton can go 15, five and five on like, that's pretty much what he averages when he's healthy. So it'd be nice to have him back. But if there's a way for them to try to turn like the Barton, Gary Harris, Monte Morris minutes into just like one better player, um, that would be great. It would be difficult because none of those guys are like really appealing as like, you know, like <laughs> the Wizards aren't going to trade Bradley Beal for that, you know, unless Michael Porter yeah. was involved. Yeah, I, I, you have to aim lower, I think. You have to aim for like Kelly Oubre types. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe I don't even know if you can trade Porter anymore, but I mean, maybe if you offered Porter and, and did that for Beal or whoever. But what I'm trying to say is I think they're I think they're legit and I think they're a team that should it, you know, development, not always linear, but they should continue to get better. Their chemistry was awesome. Um, Jokic and Murray is, ha, have been incredible. So I think I'm with you that I think the Clippers will still be the number two team in the West um, in terms of the odds, but Denver should not, they don't deserve to be far behind by much. Right. I mean, not Jeremy Grant coming back is not a guarantee. 
I will say that he's sure. almost certainly, I mean, he's, we, we, we touched on this uh, either last week or, or the week before, but he's made himself a lot of money in the playoffs. Uh, he, him and Montrez Harrell kind of came in on opposite ends of the spectrum and, and exited the bubble on opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, I think Montrez might've cost himself a few million a year. And there are some reports basically right after the, the Nuggets lost that series in the West finals that Jeremy Grant could now make like 16 million per year going forward. And part of that is just a bad free agency class. Uh, part of it yeah. is how well he played at the end. And like, I don't know. I mean, if you're Denver, you got to think about it, right? I, obviously I, I think he wants to stay there. They would prefer to keep him, but if that number climbs north of 15 million for a notoriously stingy franchise, I, I think that's something you'd at least have to consider. I think so. I mean, I think he makes sense. Um, if you're trying to replace Millsap and you're eventually trying to like phase out Mason Plumley, I think Grant makes sense as like that. I mean, he's just like a multi-position wing slash big guy, right? Like he could, he could easily come off the bench, play three positions and see 30 minutes a game. Um, and he wouldn't necessarily excel at either of them, but he's just a really good kind of utility player in that, in that position. So it's almost like Will Barton. Like if you can have Jeremy Grant and Will Barton come off your bench, Barton can play one through three and Grant can play three through five. So that, that shores up your bench big time. And then if you just fill out the rest of your bench with like basically role players, Mm. then I think you're actually in a really good spot and you're a legitimate, I mean, at at that point you're like a legitimate seven deep. Right. Um, with good, with with very good players. So Barton and Harris are on the books for about 33 mil next season. That that is a lot. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to move either of those guys. But again, especially given the injuries, like their Harris's stock is probably as low as it's ever been. And Barton, yep. even though he's good when healthy, he's a little bit older. I mean, that's a, a lot easier said than done to move those contracts and actually get good enough value back that you're still competing next year. Um, so they'll they'll be in a little bit of a tougher spot. Uh, let's finish out with Boston. Jason Tatum, Max, that's an obvious no-brainer. That's coming at some point. They already have Jalen Brown locked up. Uh, you feel great about that as well. The Gordon Hayward situation is going to be really interesting. Um, you know, He has a big money uh, option for, for next season. I would imagine he opts into that. There's no chance he's going to approach that figure uh, on the open market based on the injuries and just how kind of iffy he's been even when healthy. I there's started to be some chatter that, you know, maybe you kind of have him opt in and, and do a sign and trade. I, I think the most obvious situation would be sending him back home to Indiana. And then, you know, Indiana would send either Victor Oladipo in, in what would also have to be a sign and trade, I believe, or Miles Turner, which, you know, you, you alluded to this early on in the podcast. Uh, Jared Weiss of The Athletic reported earlier this week that uh, sources believe that both Oladipo and Turner uh, potentially want out of Indiana. Miles Turner is not the perfect center. His development has seemingly kind of stalled the last few years after looking really good as a rookie. But I I think he would actually be a really nice fit in Boston where, you know, center was kind of ultimately the position that finally did doom them uh, against Adebayo late in the East finals. Well, Turner is just a better Daniel Tice, right? (laughs) Well, I I mean, I was, I was told that Daniel Tice and and Adebayo is a wash in the East finals, but that's (laughs) that's just what I had heard. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I like again, I, I I like Kemba Walker, but 35 million a year is too much for him. He doesn't really play defense. Um, you know, I think he's he's a good player, but like that's I feel like that's not money used efficiently. At the same time, like if you if you're Boston and again you go into next season, and you're like, well, 
either Kemba Walker or either Gordon Hayward is our fourth best player. Every team in the league would like kill for that situation, right? So um, that's even if they do nothing, they're still in a good spot. Um, And yeah, I mean, if they can find a way, I mean, I would rather have Oladipo than Gordon Hayward. I value the two-way ability. I think he fits in with Boston. I think that makes sense. I mean, if you have if you have Marcus Smart, Oladipo, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum out there, and Miles Turner, I mean, defensively, that's an insane lineup. Um, and that would be that would be really cool to see. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that the Indiana trade makes sense. I think, right? I think so. Yeah, I think it would be Boston. I mean, if you could trade Gordon Hayward for Miles Turner, like. Gordon Hayward has not been good. I'll just say that. And he's going to be making way too much money. I think that would be huge. I think it would be like the perfect capitalization on a unique situation where Turner is maybe wanting out. So Indiana's losing some leverage there. And then Hayward is seemingly like the rare player who would maybe want that deal to go to a lesser team uh, just because, you know, by all accounts, you know, Indiana is, is still his home. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of like this perfect mix, I guess, of, one guy's from there. One guy wants out. One team doesn't have much leverage. Like it would, I think it would be like a kind of just like a free upgrade for Boston that normally would would like cost you more to do. Yeah, and the, and the, the Celtics don't really like need Gordon Hayward. Like they have plenty of guys to handle the ball, right? Like they have Kemba, they have Marcus Smart, they have Jalen Brown, they have Jason Tatum. Like they don't need Gordon Hayward. And I think Miles Turner would be more impactful there. And Miles Turner also on like a really good contract, I think, because. He signed his extension two summers ago, three years left on his deal. He's making $18 million a year. I think that's flat. And, I mean, that's a good deal considering Harrison Barnes, Eric Bledsoe, Eric Gordon, and Al Horford make more than that. So not only would you be getting Miles Turner, a position that you need, and who kind of fits the scheme of your team and modern basketball, he's on a good contract. Right. And he's young. I mean, he, he meets that same yep. uh, timeline. I mean, was he the same draft as Jalen Brown? I think he was. I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it sets you up really well for the future. And I mean, it's kind of funny, like how, how these opinions change round to round or even game to game. Like, I, I think coming off the East Finals, it was like, man, this, this Boston roster is just not good enough. You know, like, how are they going to win? Like, the Heat are going to be around forever. And then, then it's like you watch game one of the finals, like, eh, the Heat don't look that good. Like, I, I don't know if you're Boston, you still <laughs> feel pretty good uh, about about the roster you have. And I mean, Jason Tatum's played three seasons in the NBA. Not many guys are are doing what he's done through three years. And I think the fact that he's already failed, I guess, for lack of a better term, in two conference finals has kind of like brought some unwarranted negativity towards him. I guess it's it's kind of the the you know long argument of are you better off just losing in round one to save you the embarrassment of losing on a bigger stage later? Um, but like I don't know, like was Kevin Durant going to the finals in his or the Eastern conference finals twice in his first three seasons. Like, no, I don't, I don't think he was LeBron wasn't either. Like they're, they're set up pretty well, even though they've had two, you know, pretty high profile failures. Um, you know, their core is so young. Uh, like you said, you could do much worse, even though the Kemba contract doesn't look great. There are a lot worse contracts out there. Like they're, they're set up very, very well for the next five plus years. Yeah. No matter what happens, they're, they're in a good spot. All right, we'll close on this. I, I saw some random person threw out on Twitter. Um, it was a screenshot of the trade machine, the, a deal that basically sent filler, like young players and picks from the Knicks to OKC. It sent Chris Paul to the Celtics and Kemba Walker to the Knicks. 
That's just fun. Is that is that good for anybody? Uh well, I would rather have Chris Paul than Kemba Walker. I think I would just rather I think I would just rather take the risk on on Chris Paul. Um I don't know. Uh Knicks getting Kemba, I guess, right? That's fun. Like I mean he's they would love him. I mean, that like like right. that's like the New York point guard thing, right? Exactly. They would finally I think get that's someone. That's the rub. He, there is like for Kemba, it's like a terrible deal. But like Hayward, I think he'd want to play there. Yeah, I mean, you get to watch. Assuming we, you know, we're playing games in buildings next season. Like he, you get to watch Kemba Walker again, <laughs> put up 20, 25 to twenty eight points a night, but it's in Madison Square Garden and not whatever the hell the Charlotte Arena is called. So. I think that would be that would be fun, and then OKC getting more getting more filler is just why not? Yeah, I, I don't think that happens. I, I personally, if I was the Celtics, I would be agonizing over that because I think for this year, it's like yeah, if you, if you swap Chris Paul for Kemba, maybe they're in the finals right now. But we've also talked at length about how how much of an anomaly this year was in terms of Paul's health. I would be terrified if I made that deal that Chris Paul would immediately play like 21 games next year. Yeah. That he would just turn into like when they got Shaq. Well, yeah. I mean, that was, that, I think that was, <laughs> that's worse. I don't think, I, know. I don't think Shaq was not coming off of like second team. I know. All <laughs> I, know. I just, every, I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring up Shaq in a Celtics uniform again. I, Cause that was, that was a weird era. I do not like thinking about that. Like Shaq bouncing from team to team like that. It was not. It was just really sad, and he was actually like pretty decent for some of the for some of that run. Like I, I think he, I think he was like the All Star Game MVP as a member of the Suns. He was still putting up good numbers then. He was. Uh, yeah, he was like a sixteen and ten guy. He just didn't fit the team context. It's. I mean, it's it's hard to think about. I mean, but now it's like. I mean, imagine that would be like that happened with Joel Embiid, right? Like if we're talking like two years from now, Embiid ends up on, you know. Well, uh, I think it would be. Unless you're talking like Shaq to the Lakers. Uh oh. He didn't start like really team hopping until like mid thirties, right? I mean he was he was with the Lakers in well into his thirties. That's think. true. But I I don't know. Embiid's needs are knees are like thirty years old already. Yeah. Yeah. When I also think Embiid like Shaq was such a massive star that it was like a bigger deal and he was much more accomplished than Embiid yeah. is, at least at this point. We'll see. I mean I I guess Embiid could still get there, but I, I wouldn't bet on it right now. Um, all right. I think that's it. We've, we've had a lot of these things kind of sitting in our, in our hopper for a while. So I'm glad we, we did this episode. No more Friday episodes for the off season. Is that right? That is correct. All right. So yeah, no Ken, no Shannon, uh, for a few months. We'll see, you know, I, I, it feels like every, every week you, you hear a new story that like next season is all of a sudden going to start in like July, as opposed to the original, uh, (laughs) didn't they want to start like Thanksgiving originally? Um, just in like a month and a half. Yeah, I think so. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, that was never gonna happen. But yeah, it's it's sounding now like February or March, which, I mean, for us is not that bad of a deal. A little little bit more time to prepare for next season. This one is is obviously been really weird, but uh, a lot of fun to cover nonetheless. So, uh, I think that'll do it for us this week. But uh, we'll be back Tuesday night. There is a finals game on Tuesday. So I think we'll have to record late Tuesday night uh, after what will be, I guess, game four of the NBA finals. So I guess we'll see what happens on Friday. We'll see what happens Sunday. Uh, that that could potentially be a closeout game for the Lakers. Uh, I still wouldn't bet on that outcome, but um, should be a fun weekend of, of NBA basketball nonetheless.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.